On this episode of RevOps Unboxed, I speak with Christina Dieterich. Christina brings a wealth of RevOps experience to this conversation. We'll be discussing the importance of unifying silos in your organization. Let's get started. This is Sandy Robinson, your host at RevOps Unboxed. And I'm here with Christina Dieterich to talk all things revenue operations. And Christina is going to give us some of her insights today on how to really bring together silos uh, in a RevOps function and really uh, stand up your revenue operations organization in a strategic way. So uh, thank you so much, Christina, for joining me today. If you could take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about your background, that would be amazing. Sure, Sandy. Uh, thank you for having me. First off, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I am Christina Dieterich. I am the VP of Revenue Operations at a uh, SaaS company. I am Boston-based. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I thought I wanted a career in sales when I was young and first starting out, and then I literally fell into sales operations accidentally 14 years ago. Um, I was lucky enough to have some mentors that realized my propensity towards uh, strategy and analysis, and they kind of nudged me in the direction, um, really, I think, before sales ops was really a buzzword, although I know it's been around since probably the 70s with IBM. Um, so I spent the first 10 years uh, of my career at a global outsourcer. and. Um, you know, ended up with three really great mentors that probably year two um, started pushing me in the direction of a sales financial analyst. Actually, that was my first title, which doesn't sound like sales ops, but definitely had all the sales ops components. Um, and I kind of worked my way up in that organization for about eight years within that role. Um, and then for some unknown reason, I decided it was a good time in December to move to Boston from sunny Florida <laughs> and, um, you know, kind of landed myself in the tech sector up here, um, worked for cybersecurity firms, a um, couple other organizations um, within the tech space and MSP, um, and then landed myself at this SaaS company that I'm at now. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, that's really cool. I can, I can relate to your background. I, I did start off in sales myself and I uh, had an awesome mentor. So um, I, I love that you said I fell into sales ops and you're right. I mean, they're really at the time, I, there really wasn't a label, right. For what it was. And uh, so you're really, I think, a, you know, really a kind of a pioneer and shaping what it is today. So that is, um, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, tell us uh, something a little bit maybe uh, that people that work with you might not know or something personally, uh, something fun, interesting. Sure. Um, so, you know, work kind of that corporate persona um, on the weekends. I am a pretty avid DIYer with my dad. Um, when the project's too big, I call in the reinforcements. Um, but I have done more work on uh, houses and even cars than I care to admit. <laughs> oh, awesome! I love it. I'll let you know uh, when when uh, when I need you to come down and help out with some projects. <laughs> oh, perfect! <laughs> Great. Well, um, you kind of gave a little bit about um, you know how you got into sales operations, but maybe uh, you know as you went into that first. Uh, analyst role, maybe you can uh, 
tell everybody, I think, you know, people are always interested in, you know, how do I make this shift over to rev ops or sales ops or all the ops? Uh, so, so what was that role like? And, um, you know, how did you make that uh, transition? Yeah. Um, so it was very odd. Um, the company I worked for was a global outsourcer and we had, you know, couple thousand employees and about 400 million in revenue. And um, our executive vice president of sales asked me to go for coffee very randomly. And I had worked with him on a couple um, uh, corporate community relations things, um, <clears throat> specifically uh, with the American Heart Association. And we go for coffee and he says, so we're buying another company and I really need somebody to help me do some things that I've been doing on my own um forecasting coming up with sales strategy territory planning quotas commission plans like all these things that he's kind of like held and realizing what i didn't know was double in size overnight um needed somebody to kind of like help and he goes you know i know i know you you're kind of going into sales but you're always the one saying, well, what if we did it this way right and again working for an outsourcer i was focused on the financial services and so always it was, how do we remarket this to credit card companies? How do you remarket this to a bank? Um, and the differences in the conversations that you have. He goes, that's all the strategy of sales. And so I said, why not? And he, he and one of the, uh, the guys down in the operations department that actually like forecasted our headcount based on call volumes, literally taught me how to forecast crash course in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And that first year I came less than 5% error from where I said we would land from the end of the year. And they were like, wow. Mm -hmm. And so basically to everyone listening that thought they didn't need calculus, that is the class I used the most from college. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 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 Um, I don't know if you just scared off a lot of us, but um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's great though. I mean, the accuracy, I think, is huge, and just demonstrating that uh, to the sales uh, leaders early on in that role is, um, I think, it's really powerful, and just goes to show that you were really using insights from what you knew and applying it to the sales strategy, and really, um, really making that transition. So, uh, so kudos to you for running with it, because I think think some people might think that's a scary change, right? But it sounds like you really uh, leaned into it. You know, I have somebody on my team now that had been a sales manager um, for uh, SDRs <clears throat> most of his career. Started as an SDR, went into sales, then became a manager of an SDR team. And he um, he has a propensity towards strategy. And so in his 40s, he's literally currently doing a career shift over to RevOps because he realized that's where his passion lies. And, you know, we... Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to create a ops position tailored towards his expertise, looking at top of funnel. And so now he really supports the marketing and um, SDR team. You know, that's really important that you pointed that out because I think when people are hiring and looking for rev ops individuals, I don't know that it's always like, oh, you need uh, two to five years experience in RevOps. It's really, 
what are their um, competencies and capabilities and desires um, coupled with their experience, right? Because Absolutely. on paper, he might not have been the guy, right? But really, his talents lend itself to being a good fit. Absolutely. He was analyzing the success of the SDR team, um, you know, building reports in Salesforce, looking at the trends, understanding where their pipeline was and wasn't coming from, directing his team to go after certain segments of the business that he saw more traction with. He was doing all the functions, all the, you know, things that are rev ops, just hmm. didn't have the title. That's, that's great. I mean, it's great that you recognize that and uh, gave them the opportunity just as a leader in general. So um, that's really good stuff. I think valuable too, as this role is such an emerging role, being able to identify the right talent, I think is challenging in general um, when you're, when you're putting together uh, rev ops uh, teams and structured, uh, you know, to everything. So I think that brings us to really our main main topic here, just talking about um, unifying siloed ops and some of the work that that you've done and are passionate about. Uh, so I'll, um, you know, maybe you can you can tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your approach and um, some of your thoughts there. Yeah. Um, so I've worked in a number of different ops roles where I was ops person number one. I've worked within big uh, corporations where there were, you know, multiple ops departments, um, you know, that worked as collaboratively as you can when you still report into different leaders. Um, and when I walked into the, the SaaS company that I'm currently with, um, you know, they, they had sales ops uh, siloed under sales. They had um, analytics kind of running under the COO. They had a CS ops person. They didn't have anyone really supporting marketing or like that top of funnel piece um, before it really got to pipeline. Um, their tech stack reported into marketing, which still doesn't make sense to me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they kind of had all the pieces. They just didn't have them working together. Um, you know, partner operations, again, reported into sales, but reported into a different spot in sales. So they, they never were working together. And I remember when I first started, um, it was only supposed to take on the tech stack and the reporting. And I started having conversations with the other ops people just to kind of introduce myself and understand what everyone was working on. And I walked out of four different meetings with uh, all the leaders of, of the ops departments. And I sat there and when I added the number for pipeline, I realized that number did not match what was in Salesforce. And I was like, okay, um, so what happened here? And so I, I started asking everybody for, you know, what are the top deals that you're, you're including in your pipeline? Like just give me the top 25, right? Cause I, I knew there were hundreds. I didn't really wanna cross-reference that many. And even in the top 25, I realized that they were double forecasting. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, well, that would explain why when, you know, somebody says they have 50 million and this one has 30 million and this one has 20 million and really, you know, we only have 90 million. That explains it. And so I turned around and I went back to um, my direct manager and I said, uh, so pipeline conversations, how do you have them? Is there a group call somewhere that I'm just missing? 
<laughs> and, you know, I started uncovering all these little things and I, I equate it to that little string that you pull on your shirt. And then like the bottom of your shirt falls apart and you're like, oh no. <laughs> and, you know, every time it got to the point where I was like, I don't even want to open my mouth in a meeting anymore. Cause every time I just insert my foot and realize I'm getting more work before I've even sorted everything else that I've already started. Right. And, um, it just kind of, you know, started happening. And then I realized that none of these guys were having conversations with each other. So the first thing I did before anybody even reported to me and they made that switch is I was like, okay, we're having a RevOps call on Fridays and we're going to go over what everybody's forecasting. We're going to go over what everybody's working on because you guys need to talk. <laughs> Whether or not it reports into me or not, like this is insanity to me. And um, that's kind of where we started. And, you know, as, um, as those conversations took place, not only, you know, did we actually work out all the numbers, um, which was a big challenge in itself, but we also started saying, hey, sales uses this, but since CS also sells, like we should look at, you know, how can they leverage this report with a couple tweaks? Um, CS does this and that works for partners. So how do we tweak this a little bit for partners? And just started sharing all these things that, you know, they were reinventing the wheel every time um, in every department. And now, you know, at least we have some um, corporate dashboards that uh, the analytics team created that, um, you know, have filters to kind of put everybody's lens over it. But when we take all the lenses off, we know the number that we get to is actually, you know, the corporate number. Yeah, I mean, you said something, you said whether it reports to you or not, so meaning that you're working with a broad number of different silos, I think that's wildly important for people to remember is that we have to put the customer first and the greater good of the customer and the company, right, as you're, as you're working together. And um, if it's not all under one umbrella, the thinking needs to be, it's, it is one journey. It's one process. So I like how you said you're, you're trying to not duplicate the work, right? You've got yep. reports over here. We can just repurpose them and tweak them a little for the next department. So, um, so that's, that's great. Were you, um, were you, were people like happy to have this open to it? Or were they like, who's this chick? Like, what, um, how, was it was a it an evolution? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. I think yeah. the first time I did the RevOps call, uh, honestly, I um, two of my mentors, one was always very focused on the number and one was always very focused on the people. And I'm I was lucky enough as early in my career as I was in my mid 20s that I realized I needed a piece of both of them to be an effective leader. Mm. And so the first call, I literally just had everyone kind of like, okay, you guys work together, but you clearly know nothing about each other. So let's have an open conversation about who we are, what we like to do, and just kind of like, what's your biggest opportunity and your biggest challenge at work today? And I made it like a fun-ish icebreaker call nice. versus something that really was like, 
you know, down to the brass tacks. And then the following week call, I said, okay, everybody come to come with one report that you want to share with the group that you think everybody else can leverage. And then, you know, so every week I told them to bring something and then we got into our regular cadence and it was easy to have the conversations without me, you know, making a recommendation on what to do um, or what to bring to the table that week. That's great. I mean, it just making it about really them and, you know, honing in on those, your, your fundamental leadership uh, skills in that, I think, because I think this is common. I think we all deal with it, no matter how aligned organizations are. And there's always going to be challenges when you're, when you're working between different departments and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a great, great approach. So in terms of, you know, Maybe there's a, think of the people listening, our RevOps people. Is there a, a situation or something that you uh, dealt with, like good a good RevOps story that only we're going to get, right? Uh, like, is there, you, you have something um, something you want to share or, or tell us? Uh, let's see. Um, good, bad, or ugly? <laughs> <laughs> It's, we're we're we open to do all any of the ugly. We don't want to scare everybody away. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, you know, one of the it's funny because I've walked into these where they're siloed in practice, but not necessarily in hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so for one of the tech companies that I worked uh, at, um, I was part of their cybersecurity division, which was a new foray for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I started, we were doing a forecast, the cybersecurity team was doing a forecast, but then our field reps who also, who basically also sold the product to, you know, whoever, um, were also doing a forecast. And when you had numbers didn't match again. Right. (laughs) And so, um, and there was no, like we all rolled up into the same ops organization right? So it wasn't that we were siloed. It was just, we had competing priorities, right? The cybersecurity division, because they, the company had invested so much money between acquisitions and product development, wanted to keep a pulse on the pipeline, how successful win rates, um, you know, pipeline conversion. And um, it was the only product level forecast that the field reps had to do. And so it became this competing, um, I don't know, competing teams of who was forecasting what, right? Because field field wanted to be like, oh, look, look at all the cybersecurity we're selling. And then, you know, we're so great at selling this. We don't need this specialist team. And then the specialist team was like, whoa, what are you signing us up for? We can't do that. <laughs> and, you know, it became this very... Um, weird imbalance between the two and basically working with an enablement team um, and really sales leadership to come up with rules of engagement on how these specialists were going to work with our field sales. Could they hunt on their own? Did it always have to have a field sales rep? How can we sell this into our existing client base? And um and really how to work together to do a product level forecast where my product forecast actually fit as a puzzle piece into the field reps. Um, you know, and that meant me working with my counterpart counterparts, sales working with their counterparts. Like it was, it, it was a lot of, um, 
lot of dancing coordination <laughs> that had to take place all at the same time. No, I was just saying, it sounds like it was, it sounds like a challenge. <laughs> it was definitely interesting. Um, and then another one just came to mind, you know, I, I think every organization you, I've, everyone I've heard of was impacted by the pandemic. Mm. And um, I remember I was a VP, actually, I might've only been a director back then, a director of RevOps and an MSP. And I was sitting with our head of sales and we realized that the entire forecast I had done, you know, two months prior was probably thrown out the window because in this new world order in April or May of 2020, um, business was slowing down. People weren't buying. Nobody knew what was happening. And um, we came up with this idea. We had a whole new product set, ironically, cybersecurity also. And it was, okay, everybody's working from home. How can we pitch cybersecurity as part of this new world order? And we went and we did a white space analysis on every one of our 600 customers. And we figured out how we sell it to each one. And we actually tiered our levels of cybersecurity support. So smaller mm -hmm. companies got like the, in a box, what do you need? Larger companies right. got the, you know, full suite, all the products. And um, in 2020, we managed to exceed our numbers because we pivoted and focused on our install base. And previously we had been like a 70, 30, 70% new logo, 30% hmm. into our install base. And we flipped that and got it to 55, 45 in a year. Wow. Wow. That's, that's really strong. And, you know, if you taking those lessons out of the pandemic, even just to yeah. have a focus, I think on, you know, that cross sell, that upsell and everything and being able to be thinking about that from a revenue operations function that, you know, expand sort of um, philosophy, right? Because I think a lot of, a lot of companies, especially newer companies are focused on getting the new logo and everything. Uh, but in, in the case of the pandemic, that kind of was not completely off the table, but a lot off the table because people are freaking out. So yeah. Um, it, it gave you an opportunity to really hone that. So um, that's just, a, it's a good reminder because, uh, you know, I, I was talking to a CRO of a startup and we were really talking about how to be forward thinking about that exactly what you're talking about, setting up all your data so you can find those opportunities once you do have a book of business. Don't wait five years and then go, oh, now we want to try to figure out where to get that data, set it up to where at a moment you can pivot and find the data that you need and make a strategy. So that's, um, that's great, great thinking in partnership. So, you know, you're obviously bringing forward these, these ideas to the right uh, folks and working with product. I mean, that is, that's important uh, as a, as a RevOps professional, making sure that you're really tied in with product and what the market's doing. Um, so, you know, as we wrap up here, I wanted to see if uh, you could leave the listeners. It's been a great discussion, a lot of uh, really, uh, really great stories and insights from you. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear if you have some some words of wisdom or, or things that people can uh, walk away with even a, you know, game changer or something uh, that you could leave everybody with, I would uh, love to hear it from you. 
you know, there's a couple of things I always share with my team. Um, I'm big on coaching and development because while I had pockets of it throughout my career, um, there was a lot of times I was more of it myself for me. And I think that's something that is often overlooked, right? Especially when you're kind of like getting into a career, like the analyst level positions, and you're kind of figuring out, or you're a manager trying to get to the director level, whatever it is, it's really hard to pinpoint what you need. So one of the biggest things I always tell my team is trust yourself, have confidence in whatever you're doing, because realistically, the strongest companies that I've worked in, um, RevOps always has a seat at the table. So RevOps has earned a voice in companies. And it's important that no matter what level of RevOps you are, to continue to have that voice and just have confidence in yourself that you know what you're talking about, right? Theoretically, we're looking at the data all day. We should know the business better, or at least as well, as anyone else in that organization. Um, you know, and I think uh, I think some of the other things are like when we were in uh, at the SEC conference in New York, right? The, the tagline, don't be Batman. Um, you know, you got to learn how to work together. There are people on the team that you're going to work with, no matter what level you're at, um, whether it's delegating tasks, whether it's dividing and conquering, but really having a partnership at all levels of the organization will only make RevOps stronger. Um, and then I think most importantly, stay true to yourself. You know, there are a lot of times, and I joke, because I literally say this in interviews or... (laughs) when I'm going to new companies, like I'm gonna ruffle feathers. I know that. Um, It's part of my charm, (laughs) maybe. Um, But, you know, when you're authentic, I think people listen to you and they take what you're saying, sometimes with a grain of salt, sometimes with a shot of tequila, Um, but they will always, you know, I think appreciate that you are being transparent and honest with whatever feedback you're giving. On, on whatever it is, right? I've had sales leaders that have said, you're the biggest pain in my, you know, where, um, and, but they still, at the end of the day, respect the fact that I'm actually coming to them saying, I think you're wrong. And, you know, it's, uh, as my mom used to always tell me, it's not necessarily what you say, but how you say it. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean, these are, these are words of wisdom. I think not just for RevOps, but um, for leaders and uh, empowering women and just really, I think, finding your voice. And if it's something that you believe in and you're being honest about it and transparent, going about it the right way, that's, uh, that is just, those are powerful things, especially, you know, from somebody sitting in an analyst seat to really, really think about that and listen to, listen to that. So this is, this is awesome. I uh, I really appreciate you joining uh, my podcast on all levels here. This has been a great conversation. No problem. Thanks for having me, Sandy. Thanks for tuning in to RevOps Unboxed. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode.